Hello and welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh Trainee and Members Committee. My name is Dr Adelina MacLeod, I'm an SD6 in Geriatrics and I'm Chair of the Trainee and Members Committee. Here with me today is Dr Anna Olson-Brown who is Chair of the Academy of Medical Royal College's Trainee Doctors Group. Dr Olson-Brown is a trainee in medical oncology over in Liverpool and she is actually the previous chair of the Trainee Members Committee here at Edinburgh. Welcome, Dr. Olson Brown. Thank you very much for having me. Um, so I just wondered if you could say a little bit about the uh, Trainee Doctors Group within the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges, just to outline where we sit in the spectrum of representation for members. Okay, but, um, yeah, of course. So essentially the ATDG or the um, Academy Trainee Doctor Group um, sits very much as a, as a key group within the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges. Um, so for those of you who don't know, the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges is the uh, meeting and gathering of the presidents and chairs of all of the medical royal colleges and faculties that exist in the UK. Um, so we have uh, representation across the board, um, representing uh, around 24 four different specialties and faculties and we essentially as trainee um, arm of that have the same representation but at trainee level so essentially we are we are a collection of um, either chairs or past chairs of all of the college and faculties trainee committees and we join together on a regular basis to discuss all of the issues that are most pertinent to, to us as a group of trainees across our specialty. Um, and that means that we can think about global issues that affect all of us, irrespective of what specialty we train for, but also can represent and support our trainee colleagues who are having particular issues um, and get global trainee support if they need to take anything further forward within their specialty. So it has two main purposes, and we work very much alongside the actions and activities of the trainee committees within their, within their normal colleges and within their specialties. Thank you very much for that overview. As somebody who is active in the group, I think one of the strengths of the group is actually how much representative representation we have from different colleagues such as our surgeons and orthopedics, you know, plastic surgeons, ophthalmologists, and actually there's quite a few themes that can be quite um, common amongst trainees as well as the, the nuances um, of each specialty as well. And I think that the diversity that the um, Academy Trainee Doctors Group brings can be quite important. I wonder if we could discuss some of the work that we have been doing in response to the COVID pandemic. Of course, yeah, no, that would be that'd be really good to talk about. So I think it's one of those things that's worth recognising that there's a lot of activity of trainee representation uh, that is, is not necessarily in a particularly overtly public forum. And that's not intentional. It's just that um, a lot of these things uh, happen and you don't necessarily know what you know how hard people are working and, and what representation you have. So, so I think it's really really nice to be able to talk to you about what we've been doing and um, and making sure that um, that if you want an opportunity to feed into to us and, and what we're doing, you'd be very welcome. Uh, any of you are very welcome to do that. Um, normally via your your college representation. So in terms of the things that the ATDG have been doing, it's been an incredibly busy four weeks. So we basically taken the uh, the role of being able to be the the people who are having discussions at high level about what trainees need because of the fact that we're represented by so many different specialties across across the UK. And that started very much in, in very simplistic terms. As, as a member and as chair of ATGG, I sit on the Council of Academy, and that means I can interface with all of the colleges and the college chairs and represent any of our trainee views to, to them as a group. And so we started very early in this 
um, potential pandemic at the time, um, having conversations with our with our colleagues in terms of things that trainees were likely to need. And ultimately what we wanted to get to was enough provision and understanding of what was going to happen with our training so that when and if it was needed for us to go to the front line and support patients with coronavirus that we would be able to do with some degree of assurance of what it was going to the landscape was going to look like afterwards and also at some degree that somebody somewhere had thought about our training in amongst all of the potential for increased work, more acute work and redeployment. And as you were saying, Adi, I think one of the things that's a real strength of the Academy Group is that we, we can draw on each other's experiences and angles and, and understand things from different points of view. One of the key things of that is understanding the needs and uh, stances of both the acute and non-acute specialties. Because at the moment, we are having to get to a position where we may all be acute specialties once again. And so that internal infrastructure between the two types of, of profession within our profession has been a real strength and it's really important to be able to represent both views at senior discussion level. So we went from having a conversation with the colleges and the council forum to then having conversations alongside the BMA and various other trainee groups to be able to represent uh, what trainees needed to be discussed and decided on at very, very early on. And that was things such as what would happen to training time, what was going to happen with recruitment, what was going to happen with ARCPs, what was going to happen to the study leave budget, and if, if courses were cancelled, were you going to get study leave budget um, confirmed and, and reimbursed? All of those conversations happened and started to happen very early on, approximately three and a half, four weeks ago. The other thing that we've been doing is being quite involved with the Chief Medical um, Officer's Office and make sure that we have been able to convey the concerns of trainees on the ground. So we have lots of active trainees in the group um, and they feed into more trainees that, that obviously you all represent. So being able to have that um, information network um, to understand what was happening on the ground and feed that up into the very highest levels of, of the UK has been very important and very helpful just so that they understand that a third of the doctoring workforce which we as trainees represent have needs and also skills that can be utilised but that needs to have a formal plan um, and be well, well laid out. So we had those conversations and are continuing to have those conversations and in addition to that we've also started having bring, bringing things to the attention of senior officials as things have occurred. So we've had a voice and had very much heavy input into PPE discussions and guidance um, and actually raising that senior officials has been really important uh, and we worked with PHD on the most recent guidelines to try and make it more streamlined and more um, applicable and very responsive to the issues and confusion that was happening um, in our hospitals and, and GP surgeries. The other thing that was really important is to feedback the contractual issues that we're finding and experiences that we're having to our colleagues within the BMA so that they can make sure that the rotating guidelines and the change to contractual guidance that are coming through at the moment have been well considered and we can add um, trainee um, experience into that into that discussion. The other thing that I think we've been quite, quite fundamentally important in doing as a group is to feed into what's happening to groups of doctors that haven't yet been working in the, in the area that, that they are probably going to be working. So that includes understanding plans for out-of-programme trainees, we brought that to the attention of HD very early about having and needing a plan for them to and um, being involved in the Medical Schools Council and the Foundation Programme um, Office to try and understand how the plans for the Foundation Interim Year trainees are going to look and what support networks they need, all the way down to understanding how the law is going to change and, and how that will affect us as trainees. So, for example, the, the role and the changes to death certification, we started asking questions about, about that um, very early on, uh, more than two weeks ago. This field is incredibly fastly moving and we're having to 
change and have conversations almost daily with the wider group and make sure that they're feeding in with their trainee groups to make sure we're representing your interests as much as possible and raising as many issues as we can and also helping to, to create constructive outcomes. So things such as the um, information portal that's now available on the Academy of Medical Royal College's website, creating the redeployment document, which is particularly about trainee and trainees and their redeployment that local trusts can use to furnish their, um, their, their guidance alongside the NHFE guidelines and, and more recently feeding into things like the PPE guidance. So we are, um, we are really involved and care and really keen to be involved in, in all of the issues that are affecting trainees now at the moment and understanding how that's going to affect them later on and how we're going to pick up the pieces after the pandemic has passed. Because I don't think it's just the immediate issues that we need to think about. It's how training is going to be affected for the medium and long term as well as the short term issues. Thank you very much for that. I think it illustrates that the training, Academy Training Doctors Group is actually involved in quite a lot of aspects where the coronavirus pandemic will be um, directly affecting the, the working lives and personal lives sometimes of trainees. And in a sense, we, the sense I get is, is really the doctors group is a very good conduit from, between, from the doctor who is on the front line um, right back through to you know ministerial level and into um, health education England public health England in terms of really telling the people that do make policy decisions key national policy decisions what's actually happening on the front line yeah I think so I really hope so and and I think that's reflected in quite a lot of the guidelines that have come out and I think we have to remember that at this time nothing is going to be perfect um, and there's a lot of compromise to be made and there's a lot of considerations to, to take into consideration in as much as we need to think about what we would like things to be like and also then what is acceptable and how we best work within this environment. How do we get to a solution that is deliverable in the current climate? So we know that things are changing very quickly. We know that doctors are being redeployed and uh, moved within specialties. We know that um, senior consultants are being reutilized, you know, surgical, senior surgeons, surgical consultants are being trained for ITU, for example. So we're in a very, very fast moving, very intense situation where none of the status quo is really in place. And we have to be really careful that we manage to maintain standards and support and safety of both trainees and our colleagues and our patients. Um, but also that we get to a solution that is the best possible solution in this very are very intense worst case scenario and that's really what the trainee group does and you're absolutely right we are all doctors working on the ground we're working on the you know we've got true insight into what's happening um, and we can feed that back to maybe senior uh, colleagues who haven't been doing that for, for a bit longer and so that sort of very palpable relationship with what's genuinely happening I think is really really key to all of this. Um, and actually, one of the features that we would we, we really want to champion and continue and very much encourage people to feed into their college committees so that we continue getting that, that flow of information. Um, but a lot of this is about being at the table and having those conversations. We're not necessarily going to end up with the most perfect solution in this environment, but we want to end up with a solution that is as good as we can get it. Um, given the situation that we're in. I just wondered whether you could comment about how perceptive, how accommodating um, people are to the trainee voice. So I've been a trainee representative now for um, coming up for seven years. So it's been a long, I've been involved in representation at different levels for a long time. Um, and I have to say over that course of time, the receptiveness to the trainee voice is increasing. And I think there's much less resistance, there's much more understanding that A, we're an important part of the workforce, 
also that we are adults in our own right and we have good appraisal skills, we have good concerns, we don't raise things that are inappropriate or not really relevant. We're very much a portal into what the problems on the ground are. And I think increasingly there's an understanding that if you support and understand what your trainees are, we're actually, you, you get much more in terms of port out, in terms of functionality, you get a much happier workforce um, and actually something that is sustainable because where things are, are forced upon us and we are not able to say that that isn't going to work, often there are problems very quickly. And I think there is a real desire from all, all different groups, um, UJRCTPB, HCE, and the other educational bodies, BMA, they all really want to make sure that the solutions they come up with are workable and acceptable and because it's, it's actually counterproductive to, to do something different. Um, if, if that isn't the situation, then, then invariably things go wrong and, and a lot of work is invested for no particular good reason. And I feel like over the time that I've been a representative of training opinion, that that has changed and, and, and no more so than this. I mean, I have to be honest, you know, everybody I've spoken to about the trainee needs in this situation has been receptive to discussing them. And actually, we've seen a lot of change as a result of our, our trainee involvement. Now, as I said, it's not necessarily how we would want it to be exactly, but there have been a lot of adjustments made based on what trainees have said. Um, and part of that's because of the strength of the support of the number of trainees, the number of specialties that we have involved, um, but also about the fact that there is a much more wide and uh, broad understanding that that's actually a good thing. So if I give you an example, we've been talking to the um, officials involved in the development of the Nightingale operation and, and Nightingale hospitals um, just today, and there was a very strong understanding there that there was a need for trainee support and actually an encouragement that trainee bodies should work together. And I, I think it's a, a really important point to make that ATDG is a, is a sort of a, a, a joining of all of those trainee groups. And because we have BMA representation on there, we, they have an invited seat and we have an invited seat for the, the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management, that actually we are, we are a really good place for trainee um, considerations from lots of different aspects to, to join together and actually work together. And, and that is increasingly understood and, and it's important that we, we do that well as a result. Thank you for that. I have to say I would agree with you in that the, 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 the meetings at national level that, that I go to, my voice is very much, you know, responded to. Um, I have managed to, you know, influence policy and people are very receptive and very keen to make sure that they aren't doing anything that would be detrimental to us and that we can actually improve the training support. So I'm glad that your experiences also reflect I just wanted to move on a little bit into thinking about life after coronavirus. I'm very much aware probably over the next few weeks people are very much going to be you know, to the grindstone getting everything done that needs to be done for our patients and that's some of the qualities that fundamentally make us doctors. You know, We do stand up when needed. Um, and I just wonder, there is going to come a time when things won't be as busy, and I just wonder, that's kind of when people start to reflect on what's happened and, and, and their experiences. And I just wondered about what plans were being made into, into supporting trainees through the, the process, almost life after corona. Yeah, I think the life after corona, in inverted commas, bit is actually really, really key to this. And I think there's a couple of things about that. One is that I think that that is likely to be a much longer process than we're maybe giving it credit for. I think, you know, we, we A, don't know how long this is going to go on for. So one of the things that has been really key is about understanding how we protect 
obviously all doctors and, and, and nurses and other healthcare professionals, but obviously our focus is on trainees and how we, how we try and protect trainees as much as possible to try and prevent burnout. And that, again, has been working with the BMA about rotoring and changing of intensity of workload. Because I think before we get to the post-COVID bit, we need to think about how we're actually going to get through the, the entirety of, of this experience, which I don't think is going to be a, a quick experience. We obviously also have to consider the fact that as we get to the end of the predicted phase of COVID, we're going to enter into winter pressures. So I think we are potentially going to be in a situation where we've got a very different landscape for our medical working life for a good number of months. So I think there is, uh, there's a couple of things. Some of them are very practical things that we need to think about both now and afterwards. How do we get training schemes back up and running? How do we get education to restart? You know, at the moment, most training programs uh, in terms of their formal education have been suspended. That obviously cannot be indefinite. Um, and we need to think about how we're going to start reintroducing that. And particularly if we end up with this issue for a long time and, and runs into other problems that we may well fall under, how are we going to start that process of education again? Because obviously everything's come to a, a fairly abrupt standstill, quite appropriately, actually. But it's important about how we have a plan for to re-engage with that. But also, I suspect we will be experiencing the aftershocks of this up until this time next year, probably, if, you know, as, as a probably a fairly um, broad thought. And so it's about how we get all those things um, together and how we actually, as a group of specialties across the board, can support each other and learn from each other. And if, you know, the ophthalmologists are doing something and the, the anaesthetists are doing something and the medics and physicians are doing something um, and the surgeons are doing something else and, and you know, the faculty of sexual and reproductive health are doing something else as well, that actually we can share those those learnings and, the, and those those approaches to actually come to it to reinforce each other's approach and, and use each other's insights effectively because I think that will become a really important part of this. I think the other thing about the, the post-COVID experience is that there is going to be a lot of impact in terms of well-being and uh, mental health approaches and burnout and those things are really really key and it's really really important that we have plans in place of how to limit that as much as possible and also how we can start um, supporting trainees proactively. I'm very aware of the fact that we've got medical students who have graduated from medical school um, early and are going to become foundation interim year doctors and um, for four months before they start their foundation program. How are we going to support those doctors how are we going to sort out buddying systems and how are they actually then going to go ahead and do their normal and in inverted commas two years of foundation practice. So I think there is there's a lot of work to be done and actually quite a lot of that is for the post-COVID period. Um, and actually what we want is to make sure that we have some very robust plans in place because everybody is going to need more support. And the problem is that the people giving that support are also going to need more support. You know, our educational supervisors are about to go through a harrowing experience like the rest of us if, not that, if they're not already going through it. So it is a, an impaired model to think that there'll just be more supervision from seniors because actually they're going to have the same issues. So we're going to have to think about things in a, in a new and fairly creative approach to allow us to, to get to a point where the medical profession as a whole comes out and can go back to working and functioning in a normal environment. The other thing I think is really important is that we are quite significantly bound to our specialty as part of our, de our identity. Most Physicians identify themselves as physicians. Most surgeons identify themselves as surgeons. And it is a huge part of what we are and who we do. And once you've chosen a specialty, you become that becomes part of you. And this pandemic is, is requiring you to be able to set that aside for a while and all to have a fairly narrow 
uh, but very extreme set of skills that are going to be used. And we're going to see things that we haven't seen before. We're going to be asked to deal with circumstances that we haven't seen before. We're going to be acting in different grades. So, for example, if you're a registrar in one specialty and you're moving to the front line, you may well be asked to act in a junior doctor capacity or even not even a medical capacity because you haven't done something for a long time. And that is a huge psychological challenge for us all. Um, so those sorts of existential, slightly more supertentorial things are really important for us to think about now and how they may well become problems for us in the future. So if we don't do it prospectively, we're going to be in a real state when it comes to the post-COVID period. Thank you very much for, for highlighting those points. It is quite interesting because we've actually um, had a discussion about much of that at College Council just today and the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh are, are proactively making plans now in order to support not just our trainees but also our trainers over the coming few months. And I think that's something that I would quite like to highlight at the moment as well. I think before I became involved with the Training and Members Committee, my assumption of, of the Royal Colleges were that there were a, a means of distributing examinations to me. <laughs> and yeah. actually now I've become more involved, I've really realised that they, you can actually form quite good communities around the colleges. And it, the colleges offer a, a community of practice. And that can be a really good means of gaining support from your peers, from people internationally. There's a mixture of ages in terms of some of our senior fellows have a wealth of experience that can actually um, help and support each other through this. And I think the one thing I would encourage our listeners to do is just to actually get involved with college um, because they are here to support you. They are your communities, really. Um, I wonder whether you would reflect that as well, Dr. Austin Brown? Hugely. I think so um so I think it's really so important to realise that a college is so much more than exams. But you're absolutely right that the first time we experience that as trainees it, it is in that is in that setting. And again, I, I think it's it's difficult to you know, we work in a very fast paced modern world. There's lots of people sending lots of information um and there's lots of people cloying for your attention. So it's difficult to really understand where the college is potentially fit in that but I think it's really important to appreciate and to be aware of how much colleges care about trainee well-being not just in terms of passing your exams they are they are the people that administer the examinations but also in terms of your education your wraparound experience your well-being um, and also that representative part you know they they have huge inroads in terms of represent, representing your views and, and, and concerns and, and really care about doing that effectively. And I think that's true for every college and faculty. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the amazing things about it. And we're often asked what the relevance of the colleges are. Are they old boys' networks? And I absolutely would completely disagree with the fact that that's the case because people are genuinely passionate about supporting the, the medical profession, supporting doctors, and very much supporting trainees. And in getting involved and being part of that community gives you a voice. And it gives you a voice that's already got the ear of, of a lot of the senior people in the country. We don't necessarily need to use other mediums. We've already got those, those conversations going. And we really want to make sure that they're as reflective as possible. And so absolutely, I would completely reflect the fact that colleges have got so many different things, different avenues of support, and different potential, potential things and devices that you can use, but also that they are really keen to represent your views. So it's really important to, to furnish that. And, 
I think there is real benefit in being part of a college in the 21st century and that and, and this is it you know having these conversations being able to, to drive the direction of travel and being able to have them say over what happens if you're not if you're not part of the conversation it's very difficult to have that conversation so I think it's really key and I think colleges have done that for a lot of years but they continue to do that um, and I don't I don't think any situation has ever uh, illustrated that as much as, as the current situation that we're sitting in. Thank you thank you very much I think for, for me that that probably brings this podcast to, to a, a conclusion really thank you very much for your time Dr Alton Brown um, just to summarize the key points I think really for our listeners if you feel that you want to be a part of the college community we would really encourage you to do that Again, it's not just about exams. Uh, we are here to support you. And just it's really lovely to showcase the work of the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges Trainee Doctors Group um, into all of the, um, the hard work that has been going on. So thank you very much, Dr. Dr. Anna Olson-Brown. Thank you very much for your time. It's been very, very good to talk to you.